0: This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare.
1: Hi everybody, I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial
0: DeSoto.
2: And hey everybody, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist system.
0: Well, today we are honored to have Dr. Tom Peterson, Vice President and Chief Safety Officer at Trinity Health. Welcome, Dr. Peterson, and if you would, tell us a little bit about yourself, your organization, and your background. Okay, well, thank you for having me today.
3: A little background, I'm a pediatrician by trade, uh, and most of my work in that was in the 1990s. Uh, I got into the quality and safety work at a children's hospital in the early 2000s. Uh, we were one of the early, uh, uh, safety, um, kind of uh, getting onto the safety work with what used to be called the HBI vendor, uh, you know, uh, consulting group in 2006. And so I've been working in the safety, I guess you'd call it HRO world for the last 15 years. I'm at Trinity Health right now at the system level. This is my fourth organization. So I've been at, uh, faith based, non faith based, uh, rural, uh, urban, academic, community, children's, adult, pretty much everything. So, every every type of healthcare system, I've at least had a, a way of seeing how they worked in the safety work uh, in the last 15 years. This is a new opportunity with Trinity, as, uh, it's a new position as the first time they've had a chief safety officer, and it's to build their zero harm or safety effort going forward in the 2020s for their whole system. Their system is uh, Around 130 to 140 thousand uh, employees, um, and the 90 plus hospital range, uh, many continuing care sites, uh, physician networks, and so on. And I think it's about around the 19 billion for revenue right now. So that's where I'm at.
1: Dr. Peterson, uh, once again, thank you for being here. Um, you mentioned uh, HRO, which is you know high reliability organizations. Tell us exactly what an HRO is or how is it defined? Uh,
3: Well, I think the HRO uh, definition is, uh, I would hope that it would get redefined. That would be my goal. Um, I think when you go back, and I've had talks uh, continuously with uh, early researchers like Kathleen Sutcliffe and so on, who did some of the early research in this in the 90s. And basically what happened was we had a lot of non-healthcare uh, people in the organizational psychology world, different types of disciplines who just researched uh, organizations that were very high risk organizations, could have a major event at any time, and what were the unique things that they did that kept them to be in kind of like the uh, in the range of having nothing because they couldn 't afford to have anything like the nuclear power and airlines and so on, and basically. What happened in the early 2000s is healthcare jumped onto this because they wanted to, this is the way healthcare works. They want to find a program and they want to do something in a couple of years and they want to solve the world, right? I was part of that. I'll be, I'll admit, I was part of that when we started because it looked so great and it was something new because we didn't know much about safety. Uh, the first time I went through this, I had had no safety training in my pediatric world and my previous quality, uh, trainings and so on, even through the national, even some of the stuff you guys are doing at Vanderbilt and so on. Um, there was very, very little in that area of safety. So the safety science was really, to me, non, non-existent in our training. And so we were kind of grabbing, I think, at this kind of, we want to be an HRO and everybody, we had vendors there that gave us tools and so on to try and create programs. But it's really, and they've had these five principles from Sutcliffe and Wike and from their book and that is not in my opinion what HRO is. And what, what Kathleen will tell you today, even if you talk to her today, she's at Johns Hopkins now, she'll say, it is not, we should never have called it HRO. We should have called it high reliability organizing. It's an organizing process. It's a way of getting institutions uh, to do things that are well proven for 30, 40 years in other industries and to follow them in healthcare and make something very highly reliable. That to me is what it is. So. There's lots of ways to do that, and there's lots of things you need to do, but that's to me is what it is. So I'm getting completely away from calling it an HRO as a noun. It should be a verb in my opinion. so
2: so to to kind of stay on that theme, you know, we hear a lot <laughs> about these different ways, I guess to to get to improvement. Um, HRO is one that has come up in, in recent years for us. Um, You know, learning health system is another one that you hear thrown uh, around a good bit. And we talk a lot about the Toyota production system on this podcast with some of the others. What would you say is the main difference between HRO and some of the other um, kind of programs or or systems that are out there?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think there is there's obviously continuous quality improvement training. Um, there's, uh, uh, different types of, you know, you've got the lean management systems, you've got what you call your Six Sigma work, all that, and HRO has come along. Uh, so, you know, the way I've kind of looked at it in the last maybe five or six years, because, uh, lean daily management has kind of come on as a, uh, as a kind of a management operating system training, as opposed to when we said, we're going to just do, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, we're going to do these, uh, uh, these, you know, value streams and do these projects for Six Sigma or Lean in a, in a, in a department or something, it became more of an operational uh, uh, process that uh, you saw come out of uh, uh, Care in the different areas. And so uh, the thing that made so much sense to me when I started to try and grapple those, because the last organization I was at was fighting. They had a uh, VP uh, change person who was leading the daily management work. And they had me doing the safety work and we were kind of fighting because we we're like two programs, which was absolutely, uh, crazy. And so when you start looking at them in a, in a, in, in a general sense, what I, what I noticed and I, and I love going to non healthcare safety conferences because they're the ones who do this stuff really well. And about a year ago, I was at a national one in, in Georgia and all the different manufacturing and, um, you know, All kinds of energy groups and there's all kinds of organizations there and very very few from healthcare i was one of the only ones and at the end of the two days and they talked about safety for two days i said what do you guys how do you guys integrate this into your operating systems or your lean management and everyone in that room looked at me and said we've been doing that for 30 years and i just woke up and said you know what What that is, is that means you have to develop a management system, and you just drive safety into that. That's all it is. So if you have the management system running, and there's leaders are rounding in the Gemba every day for two hours, and you have visual management, and you've got the daily huddles up and down the tiers, you drive safety, you have the mechanism to drive safety to the level that you could never do before when you're trying to create a safety program in a certain silo. So because everything's integrated. uh, Everything's together. And that to me is the key going forward with high reliability. It's the two of them as one thing. So what I'll give you guys a challenge. We need to come up with a term for that because healthcare loves a term. They love a name. So let's come up with a name for that.
1: (laughs) When we were offline, Dr. Peterson, you mentioned that you had worked with Paul O'Neill. And, you know, everybody knows that Paul O'Neill, he went to Alcoa and safety was what he was all about. And he transformed, you know, that entire huge um organization by focusing on on safety. And w- would you say that 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 safety is the foundation of, of HRO?
3: Oh absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I think uh uh with someone like uh Paul O'Neill who's um, you know, rest his soul. He's, he was my hero. And I think when you look at what he did uh, it, 30 years ago and, and it's been sustained for 30 years. That's the other key that he can show. <clears throat> um, and it's not with different. Org- it's one major organization across all kinds of demographics. And so he drove safety as the lead focus. Right. And he put the, the biggest thing to me was the leadership was completely behind that. Uh, one h- opportunity we have at Trinity Health is we have an incredible support from our senior leadership for this. So to me, that's the first step you have to have is they have to be completely behind this because there's lots of tough decisions that come up down the road. we got all the COVID stuff going on right now, as you know, um, and safety has to be a core value and not just lib- la- you know labeled as that, it has to be something you truly live and breathe every day. And so I think his uh, examples uh, what they did, um, how they how they owned it every day, how they came to work thinking it, uh, how they went home thinking it. You know, I, there's a story about the one director who stopped at a, a construction site on his way home because he saw something that we thought was a safety issue, and he got out of his car to help them because it was part of his DNA. Uh, that is what high reliability is, and so um, it doesn't matter. If you go back and look at one of my favorite uh, writings is from the health from the health executive group from England from 2011, and they did this uh, meta-analysis of all the researchers in HRO for 20, 30 years, and they have a list of about 30 different principles. So it's not just the five. There are lots of them that different researchers have picked up on. Uh, so you try and just combine those the best you can. Uh, but it, it the leadership from O'Neill was, I think, just uh, an incredible. Uh, and, and you look at what happened with the rates. He's got outcomes. He's got revenues. He's got play engagement scores. I mean, safest in the cut in the world stuff. So yeah. So I think that was. Uh, I think the main thing coming from him that I would learn and I would take is the uh, driven from the top leadership all the way down, and then the bottom has to build it from the bottom up. And what Alcoa calls it, and the, I know the folks over there that do that work now, they call it the three layers, you know, the leadership, middle management, and frontline. So.
1: You um, you mentioned that when you were at that conference, the non-healthcare folks said, well, this is something we've been doing for 30 years. Yeah. And, and we recently had our chief operating officer, Dr. Paul DePriest. <laughs> On the podcast, and and that's exactly what he said. He says healthcare is about lagging about thirty to forty years behind other industries. Exactly right. <laughs> T- tell us a little bit about that, and, and uh, a- expound on that a little bit, please.
3: Well, I think when you um, when you think about healthcare, and the way I've kind of watched it over time, and I've tried to evolve in my thinking, as opposed to get stuck in one way of you know, I, I had a chief. Uh, uh, medical officer at one of the children's hospitals when I was on their quality board years ago. And I'll never forget, he got up in front of the group and said, uh, okay, we've done HRO now for two years. What do we do next? You know, do we do HRO 2.0? Do we do uh, uh, resiliency engineering now? Do we do human factors engineering? It was all kind of like a rah-rah term, right? It's like we had to have a program to do. And that is so off of what high reliability is. And so, Really, what it is is, you know, and like I said, um, um, um you know, I think the, the biggest component that you get is, you know, there's a system that you design, it's pushed where it's a value from the leadership top, and then you have this, it's owned by everybody in the organization. So another thing I see as a failure in healthcare is we do uh, trainings like team steps, or we do career source management, or we do some training for an OR group. I mean you can always do that to help people learn but that doesn't create this along across the whole system you've got to have everybody doing the same thing whether you work in finance or you work in the icu it doesn't make any difference the other big failure i've seen in healthcare uh, that they've been catching up on is employee safety right so i got oh, made aware of this when i was in the, my program in denver and uh, 2012 and the hr person came to me and said 10% of our at-risk compensation is based on our OSHA recordable rate. So if you're in this position, you've got to decrease that. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then I said, I went to another guy and said, what is that? I so, said, <laughs> So I didn't even know what it was. And so you start realizing that because we were so focused on the clinical patient safety world, because it was driven by National Patient Safety Foundation and Joint Commission and HRQ and, uh, and you know, the MQF and all these groups that we follow in healthcare, we didn't know, we didn't even connect it with the employee side. And we had Mm the highest numbers of injuries, serious injuries of any industry in the country. And when I look at it, safety is safety. It doesn't matter if you're doing it for a slip, trip, and fall, or you're doing it for a, a needle stick, or you're doing it for a medication error. It's all the same tactics, it's all the same techniques, it's all the same behaviors. Um, and so I saw IHI come out with that in 2020. They finally have employee safety on their focus. And it's taken, what, 30, 40 years for that to happen? Um, so, uh, you know, so I think that's been our other, another one we've dragged behind in that world, uh, where if you look at like the uh, airlines in those worlds, they, you know, when the airlines started doing their work in the late 70s and the early 80s, they did not solve their problems in two or three years with an HRO program. It took them 30 years. <laughs> You know, they still had accidents, but they worked on it for years and years and years and years, and then they created another thing that they created in their industry was industry standards or expectations, and we don't, we don't have that in healthcare. Think about our medical students and our residents. When they come out of a medical school and they go to a hospital, there is no standard. There is no standard for how we train our residents and medical students and nursing students in safety. It doesn't exist in the U.S. If you, if you join, if you become an airline pilot, you all go through the same training and you all learn the three way communication and everybody learns how to do the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the peer checking and the coach and all the behaviors you have to have. They are expectations and you learn. They come out from, uh, you know, one organization to or the next in healthcare. There's no standard. There's, there's no standard. And so we're so far behind but we're also behind in the physician and provider world because then we have to retrain them depending on what CEO chose what vendor or what program at that time for the safety training, right? Mm -hmm. And I I even see that in Trinity. We have safety programs. You know, I have to standardize them in our organization, which we're going to do, but they're all over the place because that's how they've been created. And so when I talk to a a surgery uh, staff or, or residents or whatever, there's no standard for how we do safety in healthcare which blows me away so
2: anyway. so you mentioned quality a little while ago and you know a lot of times we think about safety and quality in the same breath we we call we say quality and safety committee or something like that how does your organization integrate the two do you work with another chief quality officer or does quality fall under you and how do you see the the difference between the two and and how they intersect
3: yeah that's a good question because, uh, typically what's happened in my roles in the past, I've been lucky enough to be at two of my organizations being a chief safety officer where the only focus I had was safety. Uh, so the biggest thing there is to try and say what, what is under safety? Security, regulatory, HR is under safety, risk, uh, you know, quality, I think has com- some components of safety. So there's a lot of ways that if you do that in an organization, you still have to kind of, Organize and consolidate because so many people have a piece of safety. Uh, but what, what's happened in healthcare, and I've seen it's a very siloed world. Uh, uh, you know, so think about rounding. We do uh, oh well, we do hourly rounding for patient experience, and then we do safety rounding for HRO, and then we do. You know, we don't even organize what we do. It's, it's, rounding's a tactic. It shouldn't be what we do in a silo, right? So the, the the silo process we have too, is we have a quality department and then they have their metrics because they're driven by CMS and value-based purchasing and how we get paid and our penalties. They put it together that way, right? It's all in response to what we were told to do, not the right thing to do, okay? And then safety comes along. How do they interact and how do they coordinate? And to me, um, and you know, pressgate and everybody is saying this now, uh, way, way past time it was due, is you just drive reliability and safety and patient experience improves your revenues improve your quality improves if you do the right stuff you know bundles are part of what you do in safety it's not something you do separate for a CAUTI and clabsy. it's what you do in safety so you have to think about it in that way and if people live and breathe it and really get trained well in the general way all that stuff is going to be working together and that's a that's a tough part in healthcare that you have to deal with is you go into an organization and someone doesn't want to integrate they have their turf and they don't want to cross or share you, you run into that too so that can be an issue uh, but in a perfect world uh, you want them all working together you just want them all working together seamlessly because the same if you do the things right you follow those types of uh you create the right types of cultures um where there's trust And there's teamwork and there's you know transparency and there's accountability all those things improve so
2: So that makes a lot of sense and and you mentioned you know quality metrics that we that we we are we all have these large boards (laughs) full of quality metrics that we're we're trying to satisfy and my previous organization i've worked with we kind of flipped the quality metrics uh, from rates, O to E's and things of that nature, just started looking at more of a harm score where you could identify individual patients that, uh, you know, and it just made a lot more sense when you flipped it that way, because you could look and in, instead of saying you got a 1.1 that you got to get less than one, you you said, well, we actually had 15 patients that we harmed through our yeah. care yeah. over the last year. Um I was just curious as your experience with that, do y'all use the harm score and what have you seen with regards to that?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I think I've seen the harm score used and it's, it's always calculated differently. So there's not a standard, uh, Intermountain Healthcare had a certain harm score. I've seen them done differently by different uh, organizations, depending on how you want to put them together. I think that's a okay metric to use because it's a very general and it includes a lot of things. So I don't, I don't have any problem with that being a metric. What I tend, what I like to do is, um, this is a comment by Paul O'Neill. Was when he started consulting with healthcare in the early 2000s, he said, you know, he made the comment, and it's one of my favorite quotes. Was you know, healthcare does a great job of quality improvement. They put together a process and they improve something because they have a metric and they cut it in half in two years, and they have a they do great job. But then it all goes back to the way it was because they are not part of an excellent uh, a, a culture of excellence. That's not what they create in that process. So it's a very vertically driven process so uh so yeah so i would say what i like to do in safety when i'm i like to look at metrics for how you use them to build a culture as opposed to i have to do them because i'm penalized you know you I, there's a guy who was a i used to work with who was a uh, early co-founder of ihi and he used to make that comment all the time you know it is not that the metrics should not be what you're told to do they should be what you uh what you should do so um Uh, So I like to use very simple ones, and there's a purpose for them. So right now, when we start a safety program, incident reporting, I mean, if you go to the non-healthcare people, and they've been doing this for 30 years, their top thing they still talk about is incident and near-miss reporting. That is their gold standard. They still have uh, reward systems for it. The construction company that I used to go watch in Denver, Colorado, uh, would give the ones that had the most incident reports every month, would get a pizza party and a $50 check for every person in that unit. And, and I'm just saying that's the value that these these organizations put on incident reporting, um, and everybody in non-healthcare does it. So that's a huge one. Uh, we we you know have 15 percent of our incidents reported because we're all volunteer and and you know we just it's just not a it's not a really great system in healthcare. Uh, so that's one. I think some type of safety event, and I like the serious safety event that obviously came out of the HPI world, which. I think has a lot of value to it because it drives transparency and it drives engagement and so on Um, so you have and then the OSHA recordable uh, because then you can really measure uh, how you're going with the injuries with your with your colleagues and there's four major areas that you can improve there Uh, so those are really you put those together maybe you do a colleague and get you know the the employee engagement scores or some type of uh uh, you know safety climate score you could use uh, the hrq safety survey or whatever I think those are you have know, three or four of those to me and you have a scorecard and that's what you do and if you want to take some other ones like falls or something you can stick them in there but i like the ones that help drive and build uh engagement and culture and then down the road you can you can modify if you like uh, i think i think the safety uh general safety you know score is okay to do uh, but i would do it with the other ones as well so they, they all have to have a purpose you know Right. Uh, the purpose isn't our 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 our, our mandate, or I and mean, I know we have to respond to them, and I know we have penalties, uh, but and it shouldn't be because we want to get a leapfrog. It should have a purpose for getting closer to zero. And I think the point you made is a great point. You should always change your language. It's not the rate. You know, the rate we said is uh, okay. We're at zero point eight, and we're green. Whoop-de-doo. But yeah, but four people were hurt. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a great way to do it. So, yeah.
1: It just makes so much sense you know the hippocratic oath the first line is says first do no harm and of course that that's um referring to the patient but you know we should be doing no harm to our patients to our employees to the people who are visiting our hospitals or visiting our clinics and it's and you know it seems like if that's what your focus is that it's going to cause you to look at all of your processes and, and, and the first question you're asking, okay, is this safe? Is this going to cause harm? Is this going to prevent harm? It, it just makes a lot of sense.
3: Absolutely. And I think the prevention piece is a huge one. You know, every, every one of these industries that's really good in safety or HRO type, uh, has behavioral based safety built into what they do. So airlines do crew resource management. Uh, you know, behavior based safety is one of a lot of manufacturings do. Uh, uh, you know, you know the, uh, uh, nuclear power, Alcoa manufacturing to the human performance improvement. That's the one I like. So how you approach a task with your questioning attitudes and so on. Uh, so I think you have to have that, that behavior based kind of training, I think is a key. That's what the other industries do really well. And you bake that into what you do in healthcare. Uh, and to me, the one of the keys is getting physicians. If you get physicians modeling safety behavior, Oh my Lord, can you imagine? And you know, the thing that's unique about healthcare uh, as opposed to the other industries is we have a very difficult world to do safety in. You know, we're not just like an employee and a machine. We have the employee, the patient, and then we have physician. We've got multiple components, and then they're changing all the time. Patient comes in with a diagnosis, they might get three or four other defects to them in the hospital that we have to respond to there's all kinds of things changing in our world in healthcare so to me the uh if we get physicians modeling and their leaders uh they model safety behavior uh uh my favorite one in the world is when someone does a speak up or stop and check and the physician maybe makes a comment and then says but thank you for telling me that i'll got get goosebumps because it is it is so huge in the culture and you've got you know like they've always talked about that bell curve with physician culture, you just need a few on the left side to be pulling it, you know, uh, pulling that culture over. So it's a, it's a huge, huge, so every place I go, we always develop physician safety leadership teams or physician safety champion teams. uh, And all we talk about is safety programs and safety champions and safety things they do. Um, So it's I think they're a huge, huge, because like I said, we don't get the benefit of everybody coming out of medical school and residency with the same safety training. Yeah, Yeah. just don't get that. So, um, and we're still dealing with those 30-year-old, I won't say surgeons, I'll say <laughs> I'll say physicians. Uh, I even heard it from nurses, too. I've heard that as a concern. I've been doing this for 30 years and whatever. So, right. yeah.
2: so, you know, a lot of what I deal with is the intersection between physicians and the electronic medical record. And a lot of my interaction with the safety of the organization comes after a serious safety event. And uh, it seems to me that the first response whenever there's a serious safety event is, "Oh, we just need to add this checkbox, this pop-up, <laughs> this new documentation requirement in in the EHR." And I just wanted to get your perspective on that because I always, uh, I'm like, "Okay, so we're going to ask the physician to, you know, click this box for every single patient because an incident happened once out of the history of the organization." Um, is this really the best way to go about uh, preventing future safety events? No, it's it's a, it's a terrible way if that's all you do. Uh, yeah. If it's
3: part of a bigger program and you've got, uh, the other thing we don't do very well is the whole root cause analysis process. You know, if you get into other industries, boy, they got that stuff done in two days. And I've been at organizations where they say, well, I can't do those in less than 40 days. And you're like, what? And so, I mean, just the analysis piece, if you read the book that Kathleen Sutkoff just wrote in 2018, Still Not Safe, you know, her main point there is, if you look at what we've done in 20 years of safety, we never included the safety science people. We never had safety scientists as part of our design. We've all designed it ourselves as clinical quality people. And, and that's kind of in our own little group. And I think that's been a defect, I'm part of that world. So I agree with that, but I, but I think that's a defect for how we've done it. Human factors engineers, you know, different types of, they should be part of that analysis and part of that thinking as we do things, uh, to dig into the problems. Uh, but I agree. If, you know, if all you do is if, if a, an alert or a check or something or a reporting event is, is a, is a isolated process, it's a terrible thing. It's not going to do anything. If it's part of a bigger picture where there's multiple things done, and you're participating with the process, then I think it's, I think they can be good things. Uh, but, um, you know, whether I was just on a call with a, a performance improvement person before, earlier, who does, you know, the lean stuff. And when he was in the car companies in uh, Toyota, they would call him, we did, we have fail safes and we have pre job briefs. And we, we don't even use those terms. I mean, I, I was trying to get our people to just use safety terminology. Uh, and because we've gotten so embedded in using clinical, uh, we have best practice and standard guidelines and but let's use our safety terms let's use you know so anyway that's that was a little pet peeve of mine but but i think the uh, more and uh physicians could use it wouldn't it be great if you had a physician talking like that someday um you know so but that's just part of what they got to get trained with lucian Leep said that 20 years ago that we got to train our, our 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 early medical students in that way and in, in their in their basic sciences but i don't think it's ever happened
1: (laughs) you mentioned physicians using that terminology i was just wondering did you have any did you have any formal training in safety or how did you how did you learn all this stuff
3: uh a lot of it is learned because uh you know reading uh, a lot of the books you know the james reason the Sidney decker books all those things uh there's a lot of reading that you just if you keep your mind open you kind of i think have a different perspective I think getting out to non-healthcare uh, has been a huge opportunity. I've been to nuclear energy and airline places and to the uh, Lowe's I just went to, to, the, <laughs> to manufacturing, to construction, to uh, uh, you know every place. I mean, I've been at the, the chemical companies. And basically, you get out to those places and you really see what safety is. You really see how it's done and you really see the value they put on it. You come out a little frustrated because you think about how far you have to go in healthcare, but it's very, it's very educational. Uh, so that's been a big piece. Uh, I think a lot of the early training we had from our, uh, you know, the, I give it credit to the HPI folks did a lot of cause analysis training. I remember going through that the first time. I'd never heard of that in my, in my, you know, medical life. Uh, so I think some of those are, are some components that, uh, I think you get some trainings from the vendors that are, they are pretty decent. Uh, you know, and I've been through team steps and, resource management and all those things so you kind of so that's been just a lot of uh gathering in information uh i've done i'd love to do uh hro kind of safety conferences like training conferences uh, i've done those every place i've been where we'd have two or three hundred people a couple times a year and they come in and you bring in all the different experts from inside and outside healthcare and you learn you know that kind of piece is helpful uh hands-on learning is good uh, so uh, so yeah so i I think, um, I mean, the safety huddle like that is a, an amazing tool that it can be used if you do huddles every day in the units in the tier one, tier three huddles and so on. Uh, but you've got to do them right. So a lot of the things that we have in safety that we have developed are lots of tools, but how we do them. You know, mm. We still have wrong side surgeries uh, because we didn't do the timeout right. Okay. We've been talking mm. about that for 20 years. Okay. What do we do? So... Um, So anyway, yeah, I think that's uh, for me, it's been a multitude of areas I've just kind of had to reach for because, you know, there are some couple year master's level training safety courses like Northwestern and places like that. Uh, And I I don't know. They're probably beneficial. But uh, for me, it's been beneficial to just see how people do it. I love the fact that, you know, they stretch before. They start working in construction sites. Why aren't we doing that in our ICUs? You know that kind of stuff. So, and seeing a lot of the outside and trying to apply it to the healthcare has been a, I think, a been a benefit. So,
0: well, Doctor Peterson, I am just so incredibly thankful as we as we start to narrow down to our time. I can't tell you how thankful I am that you came on and your wealth of knowledge. You can tell that you're a student. You know, a couple comments on a couple things you had said. I loved what you said earlier. That versus having the safety program, the quality program, the this program, you know, the way I like to call it is just what is your management system? Yeah. And, and even I would even go a little farther based on some influences from Dr. Edgar Schein. What yeah. is your social technical management system? Yeah. And um, one thing I do want to uh, make a statement and get your comment on, and we'll, uh, as we wrap this up, is one thing I didn't completely appreciate about Paul O'Neill and i was reading it we had uh steven spear on this podcast in the past and and i was reading uh high velocity edge and something that i gained an appreciation for was they saying that one thing that paul was doing was he was leveraging underline the word leveraging safety in the management system to get more more than just safety and so as he was leveraging and putting accountability on safety, he was also improving quality. He was also improving efficiency. He was also improving a lot of other facets of the business. Uh, do you agree with that?
3: Oh, absolutely. And that's I, if you see when he first brought that up and his first, uh, uh, you know, thing to the shareholders when they announced him, uh, and there's that big story, you know, that they did on on him mentioning safety, and everybody ran out and divested their stocks, uh, basically. Um, he he, just, he was not a safety guru. He just used it as a focus. So like what Edgar Schein would say is, don't create your culture, uh, just don't create a culture. Create your culture around a focus. And that to me is what O'Neill did. He used it as a focus. He had a management system in place. You can't do this without a management system in place. I've learned that. So you have a management system in place. You create safety as a focus, and then that can drive everything. Uh, another statement from Paul O'Neill is, if you create the safety well, everything else follows. So you're exactly right. That's a great, great uh, observation. But the hard part with healthcare is we're trying to do separate programs. We don't just create the management system and then say, okay, safety is going to lead this dude, and not you know you can put finance in and operations and all your stuff, but uh, and you might have other things. You talk COVID might come up as an issue, but safety is driving our world. And you're exactly right. He used that to. And their revenues went just like that. So you're exactly right.
0: Yeah, I remember recently talking to another healthcare system, and they were telling me uh, uh, very proudly that they had a safety huddle. And and so I wanted to be honored and respect them. But I eventually got around to saying, well, okay, but how does that connect to the rest of the system?
3: Right.
0: Uh, when, When you have this go on, how does it, what's your feedback loop to this? And eventually the conversation, there was an aha moment that, they had a piece of the puzzle, but it wasn't connected to other parts of the system, which would be equivalent to you having an engine that's sitting in your garage, right. but it's not in your car. <laughs> not that's, in
3: your car. that's right. That's, and they, I've heard people describe the management system or the operating system as like the chassis. And then we put everything else in it and that drives the car. And I, I completely agree. And I think when I started this HRO work 15 years ago, one thing i learned back looking back from those vendors at that time i think they've changed since then but they did not drive it at the unit level we did not have unit level so we used to create things like high performing microsystems that dartmouth was doing or the cusps you know that came out of johns hopkins or the uh we call them high reliability units because we figured you had to do something like that to connect everything but it was really dysfunctional back then i think we did a decent job in some things but not having an operating system that you had running like a, a well oiled machine was a huge, uh, a huge deficiency to drive the safety well
0: oil. Well, Dr. Uh, Peterson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your knowledge. Thank you so much for just sharing with us what you've learned. And just thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
3: That sounds, thank you guys for having me. It's great to talk to fellow
0: uh, safety gurus. So thanks, thank thanks. you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Uh, Peterson. Thank you, guys.